0: Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet, twenty-four hours a day. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. So, uh, obviously, you know my kind of like my co-host has been away. So, where have you come back from, Imran? Uh,
1: um, I've I went to Morocco, okay. and uh, their weather is. Sunny and, you know, enjoyable. (laughs) And here, when I um, came here back, so um, it's freezing cold today, especially uh, in the morning Prayer, I checked the temperature, it's
0: minus 5. Yeah, I didn't think it was quite (laughs) as cold as that, but uh, Imran (laughs) was, like, telling me some issues. I'm I'm sure, and everyone's had the same issues uh, because we forget, you know, because of all this, you know, this cold snap, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is adding an extra five minutes for you to get away. If you're driving, definitely, yeah, because you can't be driving off with a frozen windscreen you yeah. can't see anything anyway right so that takes time and everything so yeah I, hopefully fingers crossed uh, god willing this cold very very chilly arctic weather will uh, mm-hmm. will move away I don't know I I think it's we're stuck with it for the next week or so and uh, you know maybe we'll be getting into the, the kind of like the milder yeah. uh, end of uh, the winter where, where I, suppose, I was lucky I, I was lucky winter. to
1: you know go to Morocco at that time because while mm-hmm. there is quite you know not chilly but uh, it, it enjoyable weather. Yeah. There right. you can in, you enjoy in the, the sun, yeah. being in the sunny. So it's really give, uh, good to have uh, go outside, yeah. that especially uh, in that time of the period. <laughs> yeah. And, uh,
0: whilst we're all kind of like wrapped up with our scarves and woolly hats, <laughs> you are in your kind of like uh, your beach wear most probably. <laughs> um, so today's program we've got uh, two two topics, mm-hmm. uh, very very kind of like. Um, Contemporary mm-hmm. and thought-provoking topics. Uh, the first quite uh, con- very, very kind of like uh, on a lot of people's minds is media and its impact on uh, the youth and their mm-hmm. morals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, in this in this hour, we're going to find out the impact, or this is the, uh, I believe, the first hour, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be finding out about the impact of media on youth. And we're going to examine the ever-inducing threats of digital media uh and that you know, uh, which are overcoming uh our you know our youth's mindsets, and in the second hour we'll be looking at the Muslim ummah, so the Muslim community globally uh is it divided well it is divided for sure, and is it dis- disillusioned now mm-hmm. right so those are the two topics we'll be uh discussing, but without further ado, we'll go straight into uh media. Um, I suppose all forms of media whether it be TV but I doubt if really the youth spend so much time on TV nowadays it's more Mm. on uh, your smart devices, whether it be your phone, your tablet, or your laptop, really.
1: Absolutely. I mean, especially the children, if you look at the younger generation as well, mm-hmm. they don't really, you know, um, um, see the TV nowadays. It's, it's all about, you know, gadgets and all about the social mm-hmm. media and mm-hmm. scrolling down the TikTok and, you know, mm-hmm. the YouTube mm-hmm. shorts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, probably- I know. <laughs> I'm going, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I know. I'm a bit of a TikTok uh, fan myself. <laughs> I totally agree. But you forget, actually, Imran, mm-hmm. that um, whilst you're doing it, you get kind of caught up, right? Absolutely. And then before you know it, you know you've, you thought maybe I'll just quickly check my Twitter feed or quickly check something uh, that you're following, and then you know half an hour later, it's like, oh, where's all that time gone, right? <laughs> and the sa- same thing with like TikTok. I suppose you know this is. I mean, I, I'm I'm in my fifties and I I get caught out as well. Uh, so I can't imagine what it is like for you know a, a teenager. Yeah, you know, it must be even more. I suppose all in, all consuming, all consuming. Really,
1: absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, these apps are designed. You know, uh, uh, designed to take your time as much as possible. And you're you're very right in, in saying that. You know, you don't realize when you're on these kinds of app how mm-hmm. time. You know, actually just flies. It flies. Yeah, it just absolutely. flies.
0: So. Um, When we when we look at social media or the the media and specifically you know this hour we're we're dedicating to its impact on youth minds now Mm -hmm. uh, just to give a bit of background to our listeners out there you know over the past five years uh, we've seen that digital digital technology I mean there's been an explosion in it really in terms of uh, the methodology you know the 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 platforms that you can get it on uh, and plus the actual uh, you know uh, uh, you know absolute mass really Mm -hmm. uh, overwhelming mass of different apps that you can get uh, to to view a variety of things now um, this in itself has caused a dramatic shift in how our youth are actually exposed to that type of media now however a bitter reality of all this uh, extra social media is that uh, it is uh, in itself irresponsible or its irresponsible use can have you know, such a detrimental effect on one's social, moral, and physical standards, mm-hmm. right? Um, both children and adolescents spend a lot of time watching screens due to the increased access uh, to new digital media, be it smartphones, tablets, gaming consoles, or computers. I mean, uh, you know, what's, what's the, the increase in daily screen time in
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, daily screen time has increased uh, to between, uh, you know, uh, four to six hours wow. for children aged eight to 12. And whilst teenagers are spending up to nine hours, I mean, amazingly, nine hours uh, per day. And uh, preliminary studies have suggested that television and computer games may also have some detrimental effect on brain development. Now, uh, we t- were talking about, you know, st- screen time and, you know, uh, the... Um, uh, the effects of the string using these social media for like, uh, as I just um, quoted that um, an average, you know, uh, teenager, he's spending up to nine hours uh, on, uh, on uh, his screen time is up to nine hours. Mm-hmm. And screen time is associated with, you know, poor academic performance and mm-hmm. um, sleep deprivation mm-hmm. and reduced physical activities and face-to-face social interaction. Now, all these factors are associated with the health issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, um, um, by using the social media, um, um, the, the main problem is uh, that, especially the younger generation, they have shortened attention span mm-hmm. and uh, um, highlighting aggression mm-hmm. at at least temporarily, or maybe the possibly. And it is also um, therefore uh, essential that parents do not. Uh, Use television as a babysitter, mm. especially you know you know nowadays with all iPads and other tablets devices, although mm. they're very interactive.
0: And, so I, and I suppose you know it's quite easy to fall into that um, trap, you know, sure. using uh, these, you know, using the iPad as a babysitter. Like mm-hmm. if you can imagine uh, an example of, you know, you come home, you know, maybe both parents are working, right, mm. and they come home, they're tired, uh, and you know, it's quite like I say, very easy just to, you know, I suppose, you know, push your kids off if you've got kids or you've got children mm-hmm. to the iPad or to, yeah, just go to your room, do your own thing. And that gives, I suppose, you know, relief to the parents, a couple of hours, whatever. But then what are the children doing in those couple of hours? Absolutely. That's the thing. Is is there some kind of um monitoring, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, as parents? I mean, there are... Um, I think a lot of apps now do have uh, parental um, safety uh, security on them where you can limit uh, the time that is spent on them, you can limit the sites that they go to. But then, you know, truly, who, you know, do, do parents do that? Do they have the time to do that? Mm-hmm. Do they know how to do that? That's so another thing, right? Absolutely. So, and then, you know, these, I mean, I suppose the, we're just talking about the methods that um you know children teenagers adolescents can get a hold of or be on these social media sites mm-hmm. really you know what we <laughs> want to examine today and we want to discuss today is actually the impact that um i suppose detrimental uh, impact that it can actually have on their minds. And actually, just to speak more about this, uh, we're joined by our first guest of the day, which is Keith Nibs. And uh, Keith is a cyber trauma uh, psychotherapist and clinical consultant for children. She's also done a FSRA on in, uh, sorry, in online harm and behavior. She's also an author and clinical researcher and uh, works as an educational speaker. She recently has just been on Ted Talk and has given very resourceful speech on the use of social media and the internet uh, amongst children. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings be upon you, Keith. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Drive Time show. And so to you.
2: And, and thank you for having me on. Uh, it's it's an interesting world this isn't it in terms of social media technology devices and
0: so on yeah it's an ever see it's 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 a very dynamic world because you know as to me every it seems every week every you know month you've got something new there and it's just you know as a as a father uh, and a parent it's keeping up mm-hmm. with those mm-hmm. social media uh, websites uh, apps that are coming online because you know the kids seem to be more adept um you know finding them using them and being online than we the parents are yeah i yeah. mean you know let's, let's let's say like earlier on in Deve- uh, december now you mentioned uh during your ted talk that you know our early experiences in relationships actually predict future attachment and uh so mm-hmm. and so if we don't find what we're looking for in the world around us we go into this uh, world of digital media to find that comfort now given that uh you know what do you think plays an important role in building a good relationship with your child because i suppose there is that disconnect then between you know Mm -hmm. uh, i suppose when we're moving from the more um what's the word analog world to the more digital world now
2: Yes, um, it's often called blended. So I want to give the, the caveat of I am not pointing fingers at parents which often, you know, this um, <laughs> what I'm about to say. Thanks, case f- like,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll say from all parents, thank you for that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a parent myself. My children are in their mid-twenties so I've, I've been in this, this world for over 30 years which mm-hmm. is uh, where my knowledge comes from. But certainly as a psychotherapist what I've noticed is uh, often parents are, and, and this Is my experience as well as everybody else's we are busy but we do know from the research that if we spend time with our children we are looking to have what's called contingent moments now i'm going to make that into simple english Mm -hmm. which is we show them empathy compassion and what we call attunement so we resonate with where they're coming from now the nice way to say this is i see you and that's me looking at the child. And the child looks back at me and says, And I see you seeing me. Mm-hmm. I recognize you're with me, you're connected, you're listening to my experience, you're paying attention, and you're not staring in your phone mm-hmm. or you're not rushing out of the door to get to work because we're all busy. And sadly, that has been, um, for a long time, that has been the state of play. And, you know, given the cost of living at the moment, it means more parents might be. Busy, working late, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Mm-hmm. and those early experiences really set the stage for how we connect to our parents and whether we can ask for help and if we've got the capacity to do so. And what I've found over the the past ten years, so the TED Talk is a summary of um, my first book, and it's it's essentially if we don't get what we need from our parents, then the children who feel vulnerable will go and look for it, usually online, because. Sadly that's where the perpetrators of crimes against children spend their time waiting mm-hmm. for those children.
0: Mm-hmm. So the thing is though, Case, right, say for instance, is it like um if I mean, is there a certain age that children are more rece- more receptive? And is there a cut off? Because say for instance, um, you know, you were a latchkey kid. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up as a latchkey kid, but luckily enough it wasn't you know in the in this age of social media, uh, I was a latchkey kid effectively because you know my parents were working a restaurant, so they couldn't you know they had they had to be downstairs. I was upstairs, left on my own uh, to my own devices. Uh, but then all we had were four channels, right? BBC <laughs> to, through to ITV. So and then you had to wait about two hours for the TV to warm up. But you know, so you know, you 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 know that you didn't have this plethora of uh social media or inputs as uh, you yeah. could access as a child so yeah. you know my question is that is say for instance if you grew up in that environment unfortunately um when you get to adolescent age does that mean that you've lost that chance of with your parents or with your close relatives to have that um that that res- uh, that recognition you know i see you you see me
2: um, I would certainly say no, because right. um, we know that. In, I mean, this is why my job uh, is effectively um, uh, a working progress, if you like. Mm-hmm. But certainly, we know from research, the first three years are critical. After the first three years, and I'm, I'm quite glad you've used the latchkey kids because that's actually in my third book, which is due out in June. Uh, I see. <laughs> nice little kind talked of like, about, drop I've talked on there. About online. <laughs> oh well, you, you see, this is because I grew up in that era, era where that was the language used, and you yeah. know, TVs. TV's needed, you know, 15 foot for the back of the TV, so that uh, and I recognise, you know, it warming <laughs> up and so on. But there are certain stages within life, and we know that three to seven is quite important, and you can make reparations for what wasn't um, uh, around in the first three years. It is the first three years of life, and it's one of the reasons why I kind of did the TED Talk that I did, because what I'm actually seeing in the therapy office at the moment is, changes in the way that children communicate changes in the way that they make eye contact and this isn't the plethora of um, those diagnoses either Mm -hmm. but certainly teenager you know if we think about 12 to 25 which is the adolescent phase young people want to spend more time with their peers but actually that's the time that they need us most
3: Mm -hmm.
2: so it can be that real Oh, it's like an axiom. of Do I spend time with my child when they're telling me they don't want to spend time with me? Do I offer uh, an open ear? Do, and, and it really is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most turbulent part of a child's life.
0: Mm-hmm. And because I like you it's difficult. You've, you've said like that ad- adolescent phase, which is or stage, which is from twelve to twenty-five, and you know I, I I've been very lucky. I've been you know with my two boys as they've grown up uh i I've been able to see their development and uh, most probably been on their backs a bit too much right uh-huh. but they're they're, they're yeah. you know, eighteen year olds now but you know they they have that you know they they sound like cows for for some reason uh-huh. right so when you ask them something are you are you feeling okay mm uh-huh. yes <laughs> it just sounds uh-huh. like some cow to me right, and yeah then you think, oh, am I just bothering them too much right So it's, I suppose, um, also parents might need to, I suppose, game up uh, on how to, you know, approach, you know, their adolescent kids now, right? Because they use different terminology. I just don't understand half the stuff that comes out of their mouths.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, this is one of the the joys of being um, technological myself is I'm I'm continuously learning. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I I look at what the children say and I say, I beg your pardon? (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, a what, ding, it's a what, ding, what?
0: That's not grammatically um, correct kind it, of thing, it, yeah?
2: <laughs> especially when especially when verbs and adverbs are stuck together and they say, well, I proper like, you know, and yes. it's difficult. <laughs> so one of the things i found with my children was to use, um, there's a lot of parenting books out there, and mm. there's a lot of advice about something called non-violent communication, attachment parenting, and quite often it's saying, particularly to an adolescent, i'm here if you need me and i can see that you're struggling you know you're struggling to talk to me and i get that i remember being a teenager myself and many of the parents i sit with in therapy have this um what i call adolescent amnesia they've forgotten just how difficult that phase of life is
0: Mm, mm, yeah definitely
1: Mm. and And it's uh, it's
2: (laughs) tumulus
0: yes exactly (laughs)
1: Uh, Kate in your recent article relating um, self-harm in digital space, you emphasised on uh, different ways of coping with stress. Now, for adults, it could be, you know, uh, substance consumption as a way to cope with stress, whilst for children, it's the use of digital media where they uh, find their cons- uh, solace. So now, could you expand uh, on the social implications of this and how we can combat them?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a fantastic question. So um, children, again, this goes back to that little bit about um, uh, connection with children. Children in the early years learn how to uh, what we call self-soothe. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult for us as parents if we go to the supermarket, you know, and suddenly the, the shelves have changed order or somebody changes the order of service at um, uh, the local uh, church or it, wherever it is people will find themselves going <gasps> mm-hmm.
3: and children Time do it.
2: exactly the same oh absolutely mm-hmm. and what i've noticed is a lot of children that i work with will use the online space to go and find a support b it's a way of regulating that self-soothing and sometimes those children can be in extremely difficult circumstances for example during lockdown we know that um, domestic abuse uh, increased, mm-hmm. so children will sometimes, you know, stick their head in the sand, so to speak, on social media. The difficulty we have is alluding to what you said earlier, that when they're on those spaces, if they are not uh, monitored, or they know how to circumnavigate those parental controls, or they can they can uh, happen upon material that isn't suitable, and and it's a really subjective term in terms of suitable. What I'm talking there are probably the, thing, the things that the film classifications would rate as 12, 15, 18, so if it's it's age appropriate.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But also, there's some really difficult material out there, and this has been the whole um, push and agenda behind the online safety bill and what children can see, which is often referenced as legal but harmful, which I find quite dismissive, so I call it legal and harmful.
3: Mm, exactly. Um,
2: and, and it's material that... Can evoke a huge emotional response, and if children don't have somebody to talk to, then they are in that isolation. Will actually suffer more. Mm, so it mm. becomes this um, uh, catch twenty two loop, so to speak, yeah, it's where they're trying to be Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Kate, as a psychotherapist, yeah, I mean, how do you think you know we can help our children, um, you know, uh, keep emotionally safe? Uh, from the content that 's posted online, I mean say for instance, you know, your child has uh, you know withdrawn how can we you know mm-hmm. break down those ba- barriers not physically obviously, but you know how can we help them?
2: I think sometimes this is the analogy well I mean there's two glib statements i 'm about to make one one I generally say to people is learn learn their landscape, learn mm-hmm. where they 're going, learn what they're doing because that will give you an indication as to what the potential problem might be um and i will say conversations 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 but if you have children who moo at you you know you're not going to have those conversations
0: yeah it sounds like a (laughs) farmyard
2: yeah so it's, it's learning to recognize when your children are in distress and a lot of times and you might like this you might not a lot of times even us adults Will uh, dysregulate is the word we often use as therapists. We will panic in the same way that we did as a child. So you can generally see, like you've said, they've withdrawn, or they make noises, or they don't want to go near their computer. They won't do their homework. You can generally tell when something isn't right mm-hmm. with your own mm-hmm. child.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, it's it's those conversations which say, I'm here. Um, you know, I know it's difficult. And learning to regulate ourselves and the glib sentence i'm going to use is we need to put our own oxygen masks on first we need to be in a regulated state before we approach our children because if we're panicking why won't you talk to me Uh, you're always I don't know. Answering back at that, why won't mm-hmm. you? Da, 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 then the child looks at you and mm-hmm. and kind of makes this assumption and goes, "Well, they're not regulated. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to talk to them about X, Y, Z? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's like just to be um, try and take a deep breath. Count from ten backwards, and then mm-hmm. uh, I, I suppose it's really it's, say, for instance, you know, you do. I think as a, as a parent, you know when. There is something wrong. It's is a gut uh-huh. feeling, really, yeah, uh, with your with your kids or adolescents, and then it's maybe recognizing some pattern, maybe, uh, with uh-huh. their behavior, and then slowly approaching that, as, as opposed to, you know, you know, kind of like rushing in like a bull in a china shop, uh, and it, I, I suppose with that kind of um, when you when you rush in, it's it's a bit confrontational. Um and it can, it's, it,
2: it can be yeah yeah it and it, me, it becomes
0: it becomes that uh, adults against kids kind of uh, <laughs>
2: well, yeah, scenario. them and us. Yeah, exactly. It's a them
0: and us. Um, so you know, what is what is then the best strategy? Is it the look? You know what? I've been through it as well. I understand.
2: Um, the one the one that I often say to parents, and you know, I'm the psychotherapist that their child is speaking to, is I sometimes say. It's difficult, but we can't fix everything. We have to sometimes outreach. And um, what we know from uh, trauma and anxiety and all all of the studies around psychology and psychotherapy is we heal in community. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what I would say to parents is maybe you're not not the person to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. So this is where we can outsource. And and there's no shame or stigma. Unfortunately, there is sometimes in the mainstream media, Mm -hmm. you know, the stigma of reaching out but certainly being the parent that can ask for help can sometimes just be that linchpin that changes everything mm,
0: yes yes well kafe nibs uh thank you for taking some time out today and speaking to us here on the drive time show
2: yeah you're, you're welcome thank, thank you, you very, very much have a good day, day. bye-bye
0: 0208 or tweet us at voice of islam uk I mean, a lot of things, yeah mm-hmm. um Imran, that uh Keith was talking about, just just I mean uh, you're not a parent yet, right, no, no. so welcome <laughs> <laughs> you're getting a heads up, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of them resounded with me uh as to how you th- see your children, and I suppose that that is the biggest thing, and this last point that Keith mm-hmm. made was mm-hmm. that uh don't feel that you're a failure mm-hmm. you know it's it's not wrong to reach out for help mm-hmm. uh and you know. In fact, that is a sign of strength, uh, mm-hmm. mental strength. Yeah, to be able to say, "Look, you know what? I'm not able. I don't have the uh, ability or the skill set to deal with something like this. Let's go and, and find someone who who can help us." Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but just just a quick question for you, as a Talib. as a mm-hmm. parent, you know, if um, you might, I'm uh, not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> go on, go on. Sorry. But uh, you know, uh, when you see uh, your children or anyone struggling with stress or maybe um, with uh, uh, maybe addiction of social media, mm-hmm. and you know that that is the case, but sometimes you don't have the, uh, uh, I would say, uh, courage to go to them mm-hmm. and tell them what is the, you know, what's the problem, what's wrong, and what's happening with you. So how would you suggest to the parents that, you know, what's, what should be the strategy? Um,
0: As a parent. I mean, say, say for instance, you, you see this in your own child, or you yes. see this in someone else's child.
1: Someone else's child or your own child is.
0: Okay. So, exactly what uh, mm-hmm. we're discussing with Keith. Mm-hmm. You, you, you as a parent, you know uh, something in your um, subconscious, mm-hmm. right, will pick up right. that you're because, you know, they're your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. in theory, you're with them or you're living in the same space with them, right, right uh, for 24 hours of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay, they go off to school, you go off to work. Mm-hmm. But the other time you're together, yeah? Mm-hmm. So you know what their uh, sounds are. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, how they react, when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're angry. All these emotions you know, right? Um So then when something is off and you see it mm-hmm. and you feel it more more than anything else, right? That is the sign for you as a parent to like, right, okay, Um, how are we going to approach this? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I can you know, when what Keith was talking about, mm. in my parents' day, like mm-hmm. my father's day, it would be the confrontational. Right. Because that was his thing, right? And not just his thing, but I think uh, that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was not really that scope or that appreciation of mental illness. Right, right. It was just, okay, you're going through a difficult period, go to sleep, <laughs> right? Wake yeah. up, get on with it. Yeah. So it was really get on with mm-hmm. it, Yeah. Um, because they had a hard life oh, then, sorry. right? Yeah. Uh, so now, with, you know, two generations down the line, and I look at my children, mm-hmm. it's more, it's easier for me to, I wouldn't say easier, but I can appreciate what they're going through. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like Kaifu was like saying, you know, we have teenage pressure. Right. Uh, obviously, when I was a teenager, back in the day, we didn't have social media, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we had things like bullying. Right. But now it's cyberbullying, right? Yeah. So you still had these precursors to the social or the ills that social media has nowadays mm-hmm. for teenagers. So how do we deal with them? I think, you know, it's like it's you're not, you know, redesigning the wheel. Right. It's still the same thing. It's talking about talking things, about, right? Okay. It's having a conversation. And it's having a conversation on an almost level playing ground, which is hard to have Absolutely. when you're the parent and they're the <laughs> child, right? Um, but, you know, as they grow older... You know, they they grow, they have their own characters, you know, Mm -hmm. right? You do Mm -hmm. feel that. So it's having a conversation, trying to diffuse the situation more than anything else, and then just talking it out, just Mm -hmm. talking it out. And like Kay uh, has um, indicated, if you feel that actually I'm having these talks with them and it's still not getting us anywhere, I still Mm -hmm. feel that they're, you know, going off the rails somehow, then seek professional help. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how I do it. Yeah. But I'm past that stage <laughs> now. They're almost there yeah, they're at universities. So they're okay. they're off my hands now soon, uh, or or they're they're out of my sight. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, I, I do believe mm-hmm. we've actually got our second. You know, we've been chatt- chattering along. <laughs> and I'm just trying to follow follow my uh, my my my. my Sorry, my Telegram feed. So we are actually joined by our next guest of the day. And our next guest is, as I quickly scan my uh, sheet, is Gila Kayum, who is a child psychiatrist and a clinical lecturer. Uh, As-salamu Peace and blessings be upon you, Gila, Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show.
4: Uh, Waalaikum
0: Salaam, and thank you so much for having me here today. Yeah, you're uh, you're more than welcome. So we're talking about uh, media, right, social media and its impact, its detrimental, I I suppose, impact on our youth uh, and adolescents. Um, Now, you've done an executive piece of research comparing medical students' uh, achievement in their assessments, which was based on in-person versus virtual teachings mode. Uh, and so there you mentioned a lot about techno or the use of technology given that how do we think that covid has had an impact on the way we make use of our digital devices today so you know what what do you think that impact has been then uh gila uh
4: sure um so this was a study i collaborated in, uh collaborated on that was on dental residents mhm And what we found was that we compared two classes of dental residents, one who got in-person instruction the year before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and the next class that got the same didactic instruction virtually and which class performed better. And what we found was that the class that received in-person instruction actually did better on their written and oral exams Mm -hmm. compared to the class that received virtual instruction. But more importantly, there was a difference that the students highlighted in the overall experience of learning, Mm -hmm. that there was a lack of social connectedness, they didn't get to know their classmates really well, there wasn't that class cohesion, and more importantly, they didn't feel like they could reach out to their classmates because they didn't really know them that well, so it impacted their ability to connect and seek help. And similarly with their professors, they didn't feel very close to them, so they didn't really seek out the kind of mentorship or the relationship that you form between the student and the learner as much as the class before had. They said that it was hard for them to really stay focused and attentive during lectures, and they found that they got very easily, so Mm -hmm. they really needed those short, focused lectures that were to the point and they were easy to attend and stay engaged in. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, we also have students appreciate the flexibility of virtual education, you know, where they don't have to deal with the stress of getting to class and being late or or Mm -hmm. that sort of hassle in the morning. They can study at their own pace. So what they're sort of indicating is that in an ideal world, they would like a hybrid model where based on the kind of content that you're teaching, there could be things that could lend themselves to be better delivered through recorded lectures or virtually, but things that really require that social interaction, sort of bouncing the ideas off of each other, building off of each other's knowledge, you know, creating that sense of connectedness and learning from each other that really needs that in-person instruction.
0: Mm. So, Gila, you know, this this piece of research, um, I haven't got it on my notes here, but it's like comparing medical students. So those students, I I, I presume, must be in their early 20s what yes. was the age range yeah so in their early 20s so
4: yeah they, they were mid 20s these were people who had already completed dental school and mm-hmm. they were actually doing resid they were doing their doing residency, the residency for their training
0: yeah so you can see yeah. i i i would presume then that they're in their mid 20s they wouldn't have that uh, they would have a different mindset to a teenager for instance so agreed yeah so so you know, on uh you know, first scan. I would have said yes. You know what? Uh, distance learning or online learning versus actual face-to-face learning is always going to is always going to be or uh, fall short of the yeah. face-to-face, right? And yeah, I I, t- I tend to agree. And I think you know the what COVID um, or I wouldn't say benefit or something that COVID has illustrated now in terms of uh, especially university learning is that yes there are certain mm-hmm. elements which you can have online but not the whole say for instance the whole degree right the whole three years or whatever degree. term your 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 degree is you can't have that online because yeah. you know i've come across uh university students who had their first maybe they had started university mm-hmm. uh during covid and one in particular i don't want to you know, say who it was but one in particular actually. Dropped their degree because of mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So, so, and it's
4: true. We're talking more about
0: no, sorry, Carol, who
4: are sort of advanced in their learning. But uh, on the other hand, as a child psychiatrist, we've seen a lot of kids struggle as well. And yes, in a in an adult, like you know, two years of pandemic and virtual learning may not be such a blow to their development, but two years in the life of a child. Is a significant and Mm -hmm. long time in a very critical developmental phase of their life
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm. so social learning is a big part of how a child learns
1: right Mm. Right. so uh, Jila as a as a as a um, child psychiatrist you must have worked with um, you know different child Um, my question would be that how do you how can you explain um to the young uh, to youth the importance of uh, mental health when it comes to the stage that their relaxation stimulus is um for example uh, tv browsing or internet browsing or other internet use turn out uh, into a form of kind of addiction
4: right Um, So I I would say that in general, uh, it is important to talk to youth about mental health anyway to reduce Mm -hmm. the stigma about having an open conversation, about uh, identifying mental health issues and sort of letting them know how to ask for help and, and sort of know what are the supports available to them. I mean, that has to happen independently anyway. But as part of this education, it's important to let them know that um, since social media and technology has become such an integral part of our day-to-day lives,
3: mm-hmm.
4: learning how to meaningfully use it
3: mm-hmm.
4: in moderation, as well as having balanced activities and other social relationships is equally important. Right. Um, and so it can't be one at sort of the detriment of the other.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and we've noticed that many youth who are actually struggling with mental health issues,
3: mm-hmm
4: at times because of their anxiety or their difficulty in navigating social relationships, or if those relationships are stressful for them or causing them a lot of discomfort, Mm
3: -hmm.
5: they
4: may sort of gravitate towards uh, online connections and just become limited to online uh, interactions and start lacking that in-person connectedness with people that are actually in their life and in their social circle. Um, So it is really critical to highlight um, and uh, let them know that the increased time that they spend on screens and social media, it has been associated with increased anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. Um, and also high-risk behaviors like uh, sort of dissatisfaction with their lives leading to suicidality or self-injury and substance use. And again, um, I'm sort of uh, teasing this apart from of normal use, because we're talking about much more problematic use, which is kind of what you alluded to, is uh-huh. where there's much more of a maladaptive preoccupation with Internet use. Uh-huh. And there's this dependency and this urge to continue using the Internet at the detriment of you know, optimal functioning. And it becomes complicated of uh-huh. how do you tease apart Uh-oh. usual use rather than problematic use. But that link between problematic social media and internet use and internet addiction has been far better established with mental health issues like anxiety and depression.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Gila, I mean, you're a specialist in this field. Although, yeah, we're we're you know focusing on the detrimental side of media. Um, how? Yeah, you know, obviously it's you know internet and social media is a tool at the end of the day and it's only as uh, useful as the user or you know the ability of the user it can actually give you know uh, a positive response a positive outlook to mm-hmm. a child or a youth's life i mean how can we maybe foster this positive use uh, with our children
4: i think anything like you said uh can have it's really how you use it and uh, letting letting our youth know that you know we don't really have we haven't really fully understood what the long-term effect Mm
3: -hmm. on
4: the developing brain of technology is yet um we have established that you know very early exposure can impact you know the attention circuits in the brain but really there is a lot of positive ways where technology can be used and we're using it. So um, we actually did a study where we found that social media use was significantly associated with better friendship qualities in um, adolescents that had autism spectrum disorder, for example, that even if they could not, you know, uh, in person have a lot of meaningful social interactions, they were actually better able to overcome their anxiety and do it over the Internet. And we've also found that some youth that have psychiatric illness, they might actually try to regulate their emotions using the Internet.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And there have been studies that have shown temporal improvements in mood states with increased screen engagement that was positively uh, motivated. And there also now there's access. So we have apps for mental health support like relaxation apps or therapy apps that are based in cognitive behavioral therapy, they can actually provide some, you know, tools in your hand that you can access if you're actually struggling, or at least, you know, opens a little bit of a doorway mm-hmm. towards finding some solutions if you're not, if you're feeling distressed. Mm-hmm.
3: And Excellent. then
4: another important thing is access to care. Mm-hmm. Like before, it was hard to get to tra- two, a, a, two appointments, figure out who you can see for mental health treatment, and distance and schedules to pose challenges to accessing care, and now... You can use internet and telehealth that can make mental health care much more accessible to to youth who want to
0: seek it out. Mm, mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today, Gila Cayum. Thank you for joining us on the drive time show.
4: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks Have a good so day.
0: O two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at voice of islam uh voice of islam uk so just quickly uh imran mm-hmm. uh, you know you know we are voice of islam mm-hmm. we like to kind of like look at things through a islamic viewpoint mm-hmm. i mean are there any chapters uh, or verses in the holy quran which you know tell us to regulate in our lives
1: absolutely um i mean in the holy quran allah has uh, mentioned the qualities of a successful uh, successful believers mm-hmm. as to be the one who um, shuns all that is in vain mm-hmm. now here the holy quran has taught us about the principle of the of the word vain and useless things now which um, muslim you know are encouraged to restrain from the philosophy of uh, islam is that if these activities uh, which become a pursuit of life and uh, interferes with the higher value uh, for which uh, man has been created are to be an extent forbidden. So in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says that we have created, you know, um, a human being and a jinn, for, so that they may worship Me. So mm-hmm. if all of these, you know, uh, social media or any anything in life, if if uh, they are uh, interfering with the higher subject of the life then um, Allah the Almighty says that one should, a
0: believer should restrain from themselves. Mm, just keep away yeah. from those things. And you know, just to flesh this, this, uh, this um, discussion out with some stats, I mean, it's, it is a serious problem. A 2004 study carried out on 2,500 children, uh, which was published in the American Pediatrics Journal, uh, suggested that 10% of 7-year-olds who were surveyed had developed attention problems, mm-hmm. uh, attention deficit problems. Uh, another study carried out uh, on 411 young children and 210 young adults uh, that was also published mm-hmm. uh, in the same journal suggests that screen time above 4 hours has actually correlated to having decreased sleep or having problems of decreased sleep and other behavioral uh health uh, issues mm-hmm. the health problems measured induced uh, uh induced of internalizing and externalizing behavioral problems as well as peer relationship problems so you know anything any too much of a good thing is not good enough isn't is, is you know is you know, should be regulated mm-hmm, yes. in one 's one's, uh, one's atmosphere, one's environment. But to speak more regarding this issue, we're joined by our last guest of the day, Noreen Ahmed. Now, Noreen is a motivated uh, support uh, worker for SEND families and carers. She's also a mother uh, to three children. And in fact, her eldest son has autism and is uh, epileptic, which derived uh, Noreen or I suppose motivated Noreen to study autism. And she has been uh, able to successfully achieve a postgraduate award in autism from Sheffield Hallam University. Uh, peace and blessings be upon you, Nori. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show. On, uh, right.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you once again. So we're talking about social media and the, the ills of uh, social media uh, from a youth's perspective. So actually, uh, from a mother's perspective, you know, what are your views based uh, on the fact that children nowadays can, you know, channel through different programs and apps on their own. I mean, there is. I, I think we, we spoke at this, at the, the, you know, myself and Imran, at the top of the program uh, that you know sometimes you know, parents uh, don't want to, but uh, the internet or the social media is that third parent.
5: Personally, as a parent, I've got three kids. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the oldest being autistic. Um, It's about the balance for me. Um, I don't let them download anything on their own, all three of them. That rule is there, that whatever they want, I'll download it for them. And plus, we've got the Google family link and whatever blockers my husband has set up for safety. I have also noticed, especially with my younger two, if they're on there for too long, that's it. Like mentioned earlier, they can't regulate. It's Mm -hmm. like you take it away. And it's like withdrawal symptoms of a <laughs> right, severe okay. addiction.
0: <laughs> a big screaming yeah. match. I don't know how young your youngest two are.
5: My youngest is five.
0: Okay, yeah, right. He's five. <laughs> it's a bit of a tantrum then. Yeah.
5: Yeah. My oldest is decide- deciding to come and join me okay. right now. Yeah. So with my oldest,
3: it's,
5: with my oldest, it's slightly yeah. different mm-hmm. um, because he's, got learning disabilities along with his conditions so his life is quite limited as well Mm -hmm. um as he's 13 he's seen other boys with a phone right Mm -hmm. so obviously he wants a phone so there's that even though he doesn't interact with them in the same way he can see what others are doing so there's that influence there as well so you know he he thinks the ipads are for babies Mm -hmm. and the phones are for the teenagers so he's Obviously, he can't use social media. His abilities don't stretch to use that. He only uses his phone for drawing Mm -hmm. and a few short YouTube videos, which are usually cake videos or craft videos with a bit of music in the background. And often he can't even unlock it, so I have to unlock it for him. So I'm always monitoring his phone anyway. Mm -hmm. So he's never just left on there to do whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. So that's why he might be interrupting while I'm on the phone, you know, come and unlock his phone while I'm doing this interview. So you might hear him come <laughs> fine. interrupt. That's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's managing him. The other two, you know, they can't download anything mm-hmm. and without my knowledge. And I always, you know, there's usually a timer. I don't allow them more than an hour.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah,
5: the, I find since the pandemic, we've been reliant on using the screens. Mm-hmm. You know the online learning, so many things online, and they, you know, it affects their vision. It drains them out. It tires them out. They're using their Chromebooks at school, and I feel like when I look back at 2019, when things were slightly different. I mean, I remember back in the Easter holidays in 2019, we made a rule that in the Easter holidays, no screen time,
3: mm-hmm. and
5: you notice their behaviour. They're much happier. They mm-hmm. instantly happier. Mm-hmm. So. We're trying to sort of gear back down to that way. And also, I have no, you know, no games console in the house. I mean, I might sound like a really cruel mother. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, I want them to have the childhood I sort of had. You know, mm-hmm. we used our imagination. We played much, much, more of an,
0: a lot. much more of an analogue kind of experience as opposed to a digital experience. You know, get yeah, out and get muddy. Yeah. Yeah. And
5: because I've learned a lot through my older son, the multi-sensory experience is so important mm-hmm. for your development.
3: Mm-hmm. Your
5: emotional development, mental, spiritual, everything. Multisensory is the way for everyone. Everyone has a different way of learning. Everyone has a different way of playing and interacting. And I've learned that because of my older son. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I keep in mind for all of them now.
1: Yeah, Noreen, uh, uh, as a parent, what kind of you know uh, safety precautions do you think are important to bear in mind when it comes to well, social media?
5: With social media, well, none oh, of them yeah. are using like apart from the YouTube. When he uses it, it's mm-hmm. very I, I I very controlled. So mm-hmm. um, often it's other YouTube kids and it's very set videos, and we can see I can monitor everything. Um, they're not on anything else. Um, I was just reading um, a few days ago that the Ofsted inspe- one of the Ofsted inspectors said she was surprised that primary school age kids had a smartphone.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: So, when the guidance you know, is sort of there that you know, they re- the young ones should not really have a phone and they need to be limited a bit on how much they can access, because like you lot said earlier on, that too much of anything can be bad as well. Oh. So it's about moderation. So, in terms of safety, I mean, the Google Family Link is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of guidance on the nstcc website. And also, schools run quite a lot of workshops, e-safety workshops, and they, they give a lot of advice on being safe as well.
0: Mm. So, so, um, so, Noreen, yeah. you've, you've worked with uh, you know SEND uh, groups, uh, yeah. or with the SEND group, so that's you know, Special Educational Needs. Uh, yeah what what are some of the positives then of the internet uh, that you find benefiting uh, children of all types
5: well with special educational needs and disability you know because it's ranging many disabilities from physical disability communication difficulties cognitive learning sight hearing impairment you know sensory processing and sensory sensitivity you know it does it, it is helpful for many of these disabilities and special needs. So um, Legna, our Legna Muslim Women's um, organisation have same support and I do want to shout out to them if any of them are listening. Mm -hmm. Let's Um, hope so, fingers crossed. uh, So yeah, a shout out to all of them because I ask them what their children enjoy and because I only represent my son in that sense that my real experience is him But when you speak to every parent, you learn so much because it's such a vast field. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of them, like like I've just said, you know, the five-minute baking videos or there's the Doodle Pro for drawing, which is, it's like a form of mindfulness as well. Um, Another parent said her son enjoys an app called See and Learn. And there's also a website called Teach Me Too, which is specifically designed to help Down syndrome children. Mm Um, another parent has said there's Beamy Boo and Box of Puzzle Colours which are suggested by the speech and language therapist also um, another one called Let Me Talk and you know with the speech and language therapist I remember when you know my son was first diagnosed and he liked that Talking Cat app if all, any of you remember that when the iPhone first came out mm, and that was no, actually recommended <laughs> Sounds very good
0: the- though, to- Talking Cat
5: <laughs> Yeah, yeah so the talking tom or something um but my therapist my child's therapist said that is actually gonna that helps them to repeat the words so they increase their vocabulary so whatever you if you speak to it then he speaks to it then it will help him increase his words and it did Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there are some benefits um but it's very individualized
0: Mm -hmm. when it comes to special education we just have to be yeah, yeah you just have to be very very careful well noreen um, yes. it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much no, for that, joining us you. this thank afternoon you. on The Drive Time Show. Have a good day.
5: Okay, thank you. salaam.
0: So, um, in terms of, I mean, uh, you know, with all our guests, we've, we've learned, I think, Imran, yeah, yeah. that, you know, the internet and social media in itself are amazingly powerful tools, and although we're, we're you know, I suppose, highlighting in this program the detrimental effects, and I suppose the the traps and the downfalls of of social mm-hmm. media there are also the positives so it's it's like any tool okay. uh, it's as 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 good as the user can use that tool really so i mean how can we utilize our time on the internet to a better or a, a more of a positive Absolutely. way
1: i mean since screen you know they are going to stay and internet going to stay and everything is going to stay so it is therefore important that parents find the positive that it offers, you know, internet offers, while mm-hmm. safeguarding the children in an uh, appropriate manner. For example, with planning screen time and uh, with f- um, family and watch beneficial and educational contact. And also um, His Holiness, um, you know, uh, the fifth caliph of um, the Muslim community, um, he said um, in one of his uh, speech that, you know, on Jalsa Salan actually it was that I have repeatedly drawn the attention of Ahmadis all around the world to watch program on MTA. Parents should pay attention to this um, as well as making sure their children are connected to MTA. This is the spiritual blessing which is the source of your uh, spiritual revival. It will increase your religious knowledge you will make spiritual progress and have a strong connection with khalafat now i suppose you know um when you um when you take something out and you need to fill the gap as well Mm -hmm. so in order to you know fill that uh gap from uh children uh, you have to give them something and and in that in in this scenario you can uh, you know encourage them to watch mta mm. and also all stuff of you know educational and documentary stuff like yeah, that yeah more educational more education.
0: based uh programming mm, yes. and also um in, in terms of you know social media sites mm-hmm. i mean the holy quran actually says uh in verse 77 uh, sorry chapter f- 77 verse 4 and by the forces that spread the truth a good spreading mm-hmm. and you know this, this illustrates or this verse illustrates or draws our attention uh, to considering the internet as a blessing because That's all true. these things are given to us by God you know okay. the creator and so you know to utilize it to you know further spread positive messages you know the message of Islam for right. instance right. Um, I mean in conclusion and I think yeah. moreover uh, you know His Holiness Has said, you know, some set some guidelines uh, for social media. Uh, And he has mentioned, you know, it is the duty of parents to monitor their children's TV and internet use very conscientiously. Children should not be allowed to watch vulgar programs on TV and careful. Uh, eyes should be kept on their internet use. Watching these programs is tantamount to fornication of the eyes. It is also not appropriate for them to have a cell phone in their hands all the time. Mothers should also learn how to use the internet so they can carefully monitor their children. So... Yeah, you know, with that, we're coming to the end of the first hour. But I think that's the general, uh, I suppose, consensus, mm-hmm. uh, not just from our community, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and our, our spiritual leader, mm-hmm. uh, His Holiness, that it's actually it's a, it's a good thing, but has to be monitored. Absolutely.
1: It is, it is like uh, finding the balance between the, the, between the two things. Yeah. Yes.
0: Just not letting yourself get too yeah. involved. Yes. But with that, we'll go to the news. broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. As-salamu alaykum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to the uh, Monday's edition of The Drive Time sure Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Akram, uh, Imran Akram, I should say. Mm-hmm. So we've just covered uh, in our first hour the uh, ills, I suppose, of uh, social media and how to actually avoid those pitfalls yeah, right. if you're a parent. So in the second hour, we're just jumping straight into it, uh, and we're talking about the Muslim uh, the Muslim Ummah. Yes, is it uh, divided or uh, at or is it disillusioned yeah. right so what do you mean by this so you yeah, know it's quite easy for us to talk about uh, mm-hmm. the Muslim ummah in a sense that we know what we're talking about right we're Muslims yeah Absolutely. but just say for instance outside if you're an outsider looking in mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so you know you're here in the UK and you think well actually uh, aren't all Muslims the same Yeah. right you believe in Allah you pray yeah. right uh, five times a day you do you, know, you have the five pillars so why is there a difference absolutely
1: i mean islam is very simple you know um it it is um there is a one of the saying of the holy prophet sallallahu that you know if uh if you um pray and if you pray towards the uh, qibla which is the uh central point of uh, mm-hmm. uh of direction qaba mm-hmm. and if you you know eat the um a slaughter animal of 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 uh, the muslim then you are muslim this is a simple de- definition of the muslim but as a muslim uh, all around the muslim the muslim themselves they they i mean somehow um, created um, a definition of muslim which is so difficult and different to each other that you know every muslim says you're not a muslim and sunni says Shias are the, not the muslim although they haven't got the right themselves it is only mm-hmm. upon allah the almighty mm-hmm. who can decide that who is Muslim and who is not. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, we are the one who, you know, finger fingering at each other that, you know, you're not the Muslim. Mm-hmm. Now, Muslims should, um, Muslim the, the who should, you know, have been united and be in harmony are divided in countless sects and, you know, division and in politics by this God and disharmony. The power of the Muslim world has not only um, disintegrated but also, they are using this broken strength against one another. The groups may be very powerful, but if they will oppose and uh, contract each other in minor and major issues and remain busy in fighting, their power will be scattered and uh, strength broken. In in uh, countries which we you know uh, which have been governed by Sunnis or Shia, tend to make up the poorest society, poor section of the society. They often see themselves as victim of discrimination and oppression. Sunni uh, extremists, you know, frequently denounce Shia as uh, heretics or infidel or or kafir who should be killed. And uh, you know, there are in total seven three, three sects in Islam, and the difference between them is that they chose to follow different school of thought but you know uh, pointing finger uh, on each other and mm-hmm. saying that you know you're not a coffee you're 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 not
0: muslim mm-hmm. so i actually i think so does this okay yeah. let me pose a question to you then mm-hmm. uh, imran mm-hmm. you know we have this idea of jihad right, right? struggle or uh, right so we know it to be uh, jihad to be struggle mm-hmm. right so i suppose western press thinks of jihad as being battle, right. Uh, war, right? Mm-hmm. So that's their interpretation and m- most probably misinterpretation of what jihad actually means. So would this, right, uh, fraction or this friction between Shia and Sunni mm-hmm. sex, mm-hmm. could this be uh, viewed as a jihad? I mean, I mean, not, I think it's their own, own uh, you know,
1: um, uh, which is say quarrels between each other. It, it can be political, it can be a uh, religious, but I think religious prayer very minute role uh, mm-hmm. with the quarrel between Shia and Sunni. It actually, actually, a putting politi- political mm-hmm. um, quarrel between uh, Shia and Sunnis. And the main problem is that they are calling each other that you're not Muslim, right. and uh, you're kafir and you're you know, um, heretics, that mm-hmm. therefore you, um, anyone of you, or we, we are allowed to wage a jihad against you, and then we are we have the right to kill you. I think mm. that's the that's the uh, wrong um that's that's the reason why they're fighting each other.
0: Mm mm-hmm. So I mean I think that is I suppose the uh western perception mm-hmm. looking from outside you know from outside right. of is uh Islam mm-hmm. that actually um you know you're always in fighting. Right. So then how can it be the perfect religion? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So You know, is there, but you see, with that being a perfect religion, I mean, one of the attributes of, you know, there are 99 attributes Mm -hmm. of God, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the attributes is Mm Al-Valid, which is unity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a Muslim, isn't it incumbent upon us to try and, emulate those absolutely. attributes of mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. and obviously the attributes of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings peace be and upon God. him so unity must be one of those goals that we aspire to absolutely so isn't this kind of like counterproductive absolutely you know if
1: we if you look in the Holy Quran uh, Allah the Almighty says bi mm-hmm. uh, and hold fast all together by the rope of Allah and uh, be not divided but this does, this very, you know, principle or this very rule, all of the Muslim has broken. Mm-hmm. They, they does not hold fast the rope of Allah, which is the Holy Quran and the practice of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his prophecies regarding this day and age. Mm-hmm. And we'll, um, uh, God willing, we'll talk about Khilafat as well. How can, mm-hmm. you know, Khilafat um, can uh, unite all of the uni- uh, ummah. So I think the basic, um, the Muslims are um, very far to their basic, which is the Holy Quran, grabbing mm-hmm. the rope of Allah. So
0: you you're saying that you know where we find ourselves 1400 years later yeah. right uh, after you know the Quran was revealed to the holy prophet right. uh peace and blessings be upon him you know over 1400 years ago that actually there's a, a bit of a mess within the yeah, global community of uh, Islam mm-hmm. so you know, then that begs the question: What is the answer? Then is mm. there an answer? Has it been prophesized?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, um, so as I'm it, laying the table for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I mentioned before, that you know, uh, in in our opinion, and uh, in uh, um, what what should I say that khilafat is the um, you know answer for all of the distribution which ha- which is happening among the uh, Muslim Ummah. Mm-hmm. Now, with the blessed institution of khilafat is to guide it. The follower have. Distinct sense of discipline and uh, direction under one leader, a factor that enables them to serve God and humanity with sincerity of purpose and selfless devotion. The second caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be pleased with him, said, Khalifa has two primary objectives. One is to save the uh, Jamaat Ummah from uh, contamination of any kind, and second is to unite the direct, uh, unite the individual powers of all members under one leadership. Now, it is also the responsibility of caliphate to abolish, uh, to ad- um, admonish his follower with the help of Allah to s- stay on the right path. Now, these are the benefits of caliphate, which gives us the peace and um, security of mind as stated in the Holy Quran. So uh, in chapter 24, uh, verse um, 56, Allah, the Almighty states, and that we will surely establish for them their religion, which he has chosen for them, and that he will surely give them in exchange security and peace after their fear. Now, after the demise of the Holy Prophet, sallallahu the spiritual institution of Khalafat was established. The first successor was Hazrat Abu Bakr Sadiq, may Allah be pleased with him, and the sex- second was Hazrat Umar uh, Farooq, may Allah be pleased with him and uh, um then followed by Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Ali and then um uh, after that the caliphate of the promised Musa والسلام, has been established and we believe that this Caliphate can unite the muslim ummah mm-hmm. uh, as mentioned in the, as mentioned by the holy quran mm-hmm.
0: and you know um so you know that that is the i suppose um the solution, mm-hmm. right, to unity within the global Muslim community. Right. So, why? And you know, let's like a mm-hmm. re- retract uh, right. or go back to the introduction. You know, why? Why was there this? I suppose this this division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, not a, If you were not a Muslim, you wouldn't understand, or you would have no um, knowledge okay. of why there was this schism this uh this this break between sunnis because ultimately mm-hmm. they pretty much you know whether you're a sunni or a shia you still hold towards the main tenets mm-hmm. of uh being a muumin being mm-hmm. a believer right mm-hmm. you have those five pillars right mm-hmm. so what is it that has you know um made them actually you know diverge from each other mm-hmm. and you know uh, can you give us a brief history? Yes. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, uh,
1: though there you, there are uh, two main sects within Islam, Shia and Sunni, and um, you know, they agreed most of uh, on the fundamental beliefs and practice of Islam, but a bitter split between, you know, happened between uh, two of them back uh, it, it goes back like 14 centuries ago, mm-hmm. and the divine originated with the uh, dispute over um, should um, s- and the, who should succeed the prophet, holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace and blessings mm-hmm. of Allah be upon him, as a leader of the Islamic faith. Now today, about 85 um, percent of the ex- approximately 1.6 um, mil- billion Muslims around the world are Sunni while 15% uh, are Shia, according to an estimated by the Consul on Foreign uh, Relations. Now, while Shia represent the majority of the population in Iran, Iraq, Bahrain and Azerbaijan, and uh, a plurality in Lebanon, Sunnis, uh, Sunnis are the majority in uh, more than 14 uh, other countries, from Morocco to uh, Indonesia. After the demise of the Holy Prophet, most of his you know followers thought that uh, the um the elite uh, member or the elite companion of the islamic uh, community should choose uh, his successor a smaller group believed only someone from the holy Prophet's sallallahu alaihi wasallam's family uh, mainly uh, mainly his you know cousin uh, cousin-in-law uh, ali عن, and who should succeed him this group because um, this um, group became known as the follower of ali and in arabic we said shi'a ali or the group of the ali and sunni majority um, um named um, it means the, the 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 group who um followed the practice of the holy prophet they uh, won out and chose uh, the holy prophet sallallahu uh, peace and blessings of allah be upon him closest friend Hazrat abu bakr siddiq mm. may allah be pleased with him and that become the first Khalid or leader of the islamic community so um, basically the you know the, the division if you if if i summarize everything the division happened when uh, a small group of people, they said that you know only the um, the caliph should be only from the uh, cousin or the family of the holy prophet sallallahu mm-hmm. sallam. So uh, have a piece, bloodline. 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 Yeah. And but other groups said it should be you know it should be through um, everyone's you know um, th- should be through voting mm-hmm. and uh, who is the uh, pious among everyone. Mm-hmm. Should so be it's basically,
0: the, based on the practices yeah. and the life of the holy prophet peace and blessings be absolutely, upon him, absolutely. that's how the Khalifa should be chosen absolutely uh, as opposed to being a right of blood absolutely yeah Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're aware of this. It's just kind of like illustrating <laughs> just it for our listeners. One thing,
1: there. one thing I just want to mention quickly is that you know, disagreement between uh, each other is not you know, it's not a bad thing. It's yes. actually a driving force um, uh, for evolution of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, through disagreement, yeah. you can uh, learn a lot of things. Mm. But the disagreement which um, has been does out of enmity or out of uh, you know, uh, out of grudge that mm-hmm. disagreement uh, is very dangerous mm. now in the beginning in the early stage of islam you know the the um, very two famous uh, companions uh, of, of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi Bakr siddiq and mm. hazrat, uh, hazrat umar they have uh, the very severe different uh, disagreement sometime mm-hmm. on, on certain issues but their dis- disagreement uh, was not out of enmity or not out of grudge they um, they were truly you know seeking after truth mm-hmm. but in the later especially uh, in the dynasty of um, uh Umayyad caliphate and in, in, in the uh dynasty of um Fatimid caliphate I I'm using the um word caliphate but they're it's just a title not really uh caliphate mm-hmm. so they uh, you know they um did the disagreement out of enmity and they mm-hmm. uh, there a lot of you know um uh, sects um uh, they uh, in that era of of islam lot of sects have been you know uh, created and uh, um, a war would be- between them each other and, and that were bloody wars so um the the, the main point is if you do the disagreement mm. um is actually the saying of the holy prophet as well that mm. that the disagreement of my ummah is a blessing mm-hmm. but that uh, the blessing is only when you do it uh, with a sincere heart, mm. not with the
0: evil intention, so, so the I actually, suppose really mm-hmm. what, what you're what you're saying is that as mm. long as that disagreement or debate, let's call it right. debate, yeah. right, is based upon uh, the true moral of piety, or right. or that wanting the truth, right, right. seeking the truth, right. uh, then it's fine. Absolutely. But if it were based on um, some kind of like maybe political political, political uh, wanting power yes, for power itself absolutely. then obviously it's, it's a bad thing yeah. but to talk more regarding this we're joined by uh, Imam Manib Rahman. Uh, As-salamu assalamualaikum peace and blessings be upon you Imam uh, Manib Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show this afternoon So we're talking about uh, the Muslim Ummah you know, uh, is it divided? I mean, what's your opinion about the Muslim Ummah?
6: Yeah, so as you can see nowadays the Muslim Ummah is, as you said, it is very divided. Um, everyone has their own opinion and like uh, Imran Saab said, it's not their own opinion out of um, trying to find out the truth. It's their yeah. own opinion and kind of trying to get who has the most followers. Where can I get the most money from? Mm-hmm. How can I get the most influence? So, you can see a lot of divide in the Muslim. My every Muslim is looking at uh, the, the other Muslims' mouth. Or, you'll even see it nowadays in England. There's a, there's a place for speaker's corners. Mm-hmm. And there's so many Muslims, they argue about the most pointless things just because they want to be right,
0: mm-hmm. uh, a. But then so, doesn't, doesn't that, I mean, ultimately, one, one of the uh, messages, if not most probably the core message uh upon um you know the passing of the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him right was that you know let my yeah let the religion of islam be a unifying right a unifying uh religion a, a universal religion and then so if that were the case and then most if not all uh Muslims regardless of the sect that you are in whether it's Shia or Sunni or even a subsect right you're you know the 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 most um I suppose the 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 kind of like who you look towards you know second only to God is the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him so anything that he's asking us to do you pretty much try and follow to the nth degree. So, if this were the case, then why doesn't would it not? So, you're trying to spread the message of Islam to those who don't know it, or maybe believe in a different religion. But then, you know, from those of another religion looking out, and then you're saying, yeah, you know, like, quoting this example, uh, that you have m- Muslims on a soapbox at speaker's corner, actually preaching against each other. Mm-hmm. This show isn't isn't a bit kind of like a bit farcical then.
6: Yeah, um, of course, it's it's it goes against our uh, understanding of what the Hadith says, that we should be united, uh, we should be listening to the Holy Prophet, if that were the case, if everyone was listening to you, everything the Holy Prophet sallam, had, had said, we'd obviously be united. But the thing is, the reason why uh, it, it's looking as grim uh, as it is looking today is because, I would say, in my opinion, is that, not everyone is actually listening to the Holy Prophet. The Holy mm-hmm. Prophet foretold of the promised Messiah mm-hmm. and he told us to actually follow him and go over mountains that we had to.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And since the promised Messiah we claim that he has come and we believe so that he has come. And since not everyone is believing in the promised Messiah, they're not looking at things open heartedly and they're not actually studying just the like in the way, I wouldn't say they're not studying, and I wouldn't say they're not doing our sincerity of public because they're not able to believe in the Prophet Messiah, which is actually the united force, of could be the united force for all the Muslims, uh, which has been foretold in Hadith, that he would come and he would unite everyone, and that he would teach you right from wrong, and he'd be the final judge. Since we are not able to believe in him, it, it, what it does is, it, unite, it doesn't unite us, it divides us. Mm-hmm. So, that is the biggest problem that we're facing now. There's no united force like Khilafat. therefore, like we have Khilafat. And it really unites us in this way that, um, you know, you see, for example, you have one finger. Uh, one finger can't do much by itself. You have five fingers. Five fingers will get, will, you'll be able to grab stuff. But put them all together into a fist and you have a, a strong leading example. Like, say, say, for example, you have bricks. You have one brick. You can't build a building. But you put bricks in an orderly fashion
3: mm-hmm. and
6: you build Skyscrapers, huge mm-hmm. buildings that we can mm-hmm. see nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, so that you... is what connects
0: says It puts us all together into one orderly fashion. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, very eloquently, I, li- I like the foundation, building <laughs> bricks kind of like example there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Martin Moniba, yeah, you, you, you know, you've touched on, uh, and we we I think in our intro said, look, you know, there is a solution to this division within. The Muslim community, the global Muslim community, and that solution is Khilafat, uh this spiritual institution. I mean, what are you know the divine blessings which are associated with this institution of Calafat? Yes.
6: Yeah, so um, the divine uh, blessings that uh, are associated with this, we can see that from the Holy Quran. If we look at the Holy Quran, uh, Surah Nur, verse mm-hmm. fifty six, it says, uh, that allah has promised to those among you who believe and do good works and he will surely make them successes in the earth as he has made successes from those amongst uh, from amongst those who are before them and that he will surely surely establish for them their religion which he has chosen for them and that He will surely give them in exchange for uh, their faith security and peace um so the, the divine blessings that we have nowadays is that this, this security and this peace that we have, that knowing that we are in the right institute and knowing that whatever we're doing is for a right cause. Not only that, but the fact that the Khalifa is always there for us whenever we need him. Let's say, for example, someone is struggling with a test they have coming up mm-hmm. or any other kind of thing like finding a new home or a job or anything. And They're struggling in any part of life. They write to the Khalifa, the Khalifa shows consent, he prays for them. He mm-hmm. he goes out of his way. goes up for the wakes up for night prayers
3: mm-hmm.
6: and etc. And just because we know we have a loving Khalifa to look after us and pray for us, it makes us just feel at ease just by writing or meeting him. And I've mm-hmm. seen many cases where people will come out of a meeting with the Khalifa, because uh, as we know, like the Khalifa, what he does is he, he has meetings with people. Mm-hmm. So when he when they come out of a meeting with the Khalifa, they come out so happy and and at ease and relaxed, knowing that. Like the Khalifa said, it's going to be done, it's going to be done now. So Mm -hmm. this is the kind of blessings that we have with Khulafat, that Mm -hmm. you know we can feel at ease. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: All right, Uh, um, um, Imam um, Muneeb, previously, sorry you're saying something? No, no, yeah, so um, we are previously discussing about, uh, you know, that uh, Khilafat ultim- is the ultimate solution to unite the ummah. But uh, we also know that in you know in um, in um, uh, Baghdad or in in, in ISIS, the, there's also uh, another, you know, he claimed to be a, a caliph as well. So how can we differentiate between uh, the over caliphate and uh, his caliphate? Because he's ultimately also claiming that he's caliphate mm, as well. Wh-
0: what's the true caliphate then? Yeah.
6: So, okay, so, as uh, Imranta was saying before, uh, the Khilafat is something that is divinely chosen, divinely put into people's hearts, of mm-hmm. believing men who want to do sincere good in the world, and they want the best for everyone in the world, and for their Ummah. It's not uh, a Khilafat of voting rights or birthright, mm-hmm. like you will see in Baghdad and everyone, uh, everyone has, oh, I should be the Khalifa because, oh, my, my father was so-and-so or I should be such an important figure. Let's look the Khilafat, for example, just in, in general, in Islamic case, where you'll see if, oh, I, I'm such and such a son, I'm such and such a son, and they are out for blood just to gain a certain amount of power.
3: Mm-hmm. That is
6: not what Khilafat is. Khilafat is a responsibility which is put on someone by God. Mm-hmm. And the reason why one should yearn for such a thing is because it's such a difficult task, mm-hmm. first of all. And second of all, since it's such a difficult task, Allah Tala himself chooses the person because he knows he was able to complete the task perfectly and well and can mm-hmm. make sure he takes care of the people. What Khilafat mm-hmm. is, supposed to be an ease and security and peace, not people out for blood trying to gain power like we see nowadays.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, okay, so, right. What would be... So, the thing is, though, what, yes, divinely appointed... Mm-hmm. I'm trying to kind of think, well, then still, what is the difference? If you claim that you have been divinely appointed, um, what is it there that is there any tangible proof? That's what I, well, you know, okay. I would yeah. be asking then.
6: Yeah, so there is tangible proof. For example, um, peace and security, like I mentioned earlier in the verse.
0: Peace mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and security
6: are the most tangible proofs we have for a khalafat being divinely instituted example we can see from our uh, our very message is love for all hatred for none which is the very core for to bring about peace we have to show people love and we have to show no hatred to anyone that's how you tangibly tell if uh, a certain person is the right person is the right choice for Allah, mm-hmm. like Allah, if Allah, Allah has actually chosen it's not that that person come becomes Khalifa and things start going downhill is it's, the things that uh, the khalifa does it causes progression as we can see in our community we what we do is we go out we help like this new year's we had litter picking we go out to care home etc etc not only you look after your own ummah. you don't only look after your own people you look mm-hmm. out for the whole world mm-hmm. and you try to keep the peace and security there for the whole world rather than just your own people mm-hmm. that is what and that is what the, the need of the world is right now, that's why there's a need for the imam. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, Imam Munib, so um, the next question would be that, what is the importance of being united on the hand of one imam in today's time? Um,
6: okay, the importance, like I said before, um, the importance of being united under one imam, like I said before, I gave the example for the Brits. Um, it's the fact that everyone can unite and they can come under one banner and show much more progress in one singular movement.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Because if people are scattered, yes, they can get something done, but put them all under one banner, like for example, the banner of MBD or the banner of Salafid, and you'll see that the progression will go tenfold, even a thousandfold. You'll see it will speed up so much mm-hmm. that you that you won't be able to tell, you'll see a massive difference between what a one person himself can do I want ten men united under one banner.
1: can do. All Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, thank you so much uh, for coming on the draft time sure, show, and thank you so much for your coming uh, for your time as well. And it was very nice to
0: talk with you, Imam Ali. Thank you for
6: inviting
0: me to talk So o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or voice or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And yeah, you know, going back to. Divinely appointed. I mean, are there any instances like, you know, obviously we can say, right, you know, our Khalifa has been divinely appointed because it's a succession of previous Khalifas going back to the promised Messiah. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately we have accepted the promised Messiah as being that Messiah who was prophesied to come and save us, right? right? Uh, The Messiah and Mm Muddy. So we believe that. Uh, in our hearts, and we've accepted that. So, you know, and what I was trying to get uh, from Imam Munib, mm-hmm. and he partway, um, I suppose, in my in my um, mm-hmm. f- answered this, right, mm-hmm. was that actually proof of your, or the veracity of your claim, obviously it cannot be achieved, because we're humans, right? No. We have a f- finite time on this earth. So hopefully... Humanity will not just last one lifetime, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Already, it's lasted so many lifetimes, and we are God's creation. You know, we aren't immortal. We don't live on forever, right. okay? Because if that were the case, then the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, would have le- lived on forever, right, right, right. to guide us right. forever. So, therefore, we're finite beings. We are human beings. We we live, we die. Mm-hmm. So, to carry that message on, mm-hmm. there has to be a torchbearer. It's like a relay, right? Right, right. So, um, how do you really see, mm-hmm. right, the truth and the veracity of the message of one Khalifa, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How is that proven? And like I said, uh, Imam Anu partway mm-hmm. uh, answered it in, well, you know, you can say whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm going to be the best person out. I'm going to be the most pious person out. But only truth, or the truth of that matter, will be borne out by time. Right, and what people see are your actions. Mm-hmm. And so, with us within the community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, there's a strong force which drives us to help other people. Mm-hmm. And this is the tenant. The second tenant of Islam is to love or to want for your brother. You're a fairly human being as what you would want for yourself, right? And then I'm going to pose you the question now, mm-hmm. uh, Imran. What else is there? To, is there any proofs within the Quran to indicate the veracity of uh, Khalafat?
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, if you look um, at the um, uh, Surah An-Nur and chapter the uh, verse uh, 56, um, it says, "Allah has promised those among you who believe and do good deeds." good do works that he will surely make them successor in the earth and he made successor from among those who were before them now hey it is a very important thing because mm-hmm. Allah, Allah the Almighty is saying that um, um, he would made the successor from among those who were um, who were before and, he will, and that he will surely establish for them their religion which he has uh, chosen for them now before the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who was the uh, Prophet so we believe that the, that the Moses mm-hmm. was a prophet um, and he's a law-bearing prophet. So after him, after the 1400 years passed, uh, after him, Jesus was a prophet. Mm-hmm. Now, in this verse, Allah the Almighty says that I, I, I'm I going to establish a khilafat, system of khilafat, uh in this ummah as well. Mm-hmm. As I established the calafat in the previous ummah. Now, previous ummah was the, the ummah of Moses mm-hmm. and after him... The 1400 passed away. Uh, the Jesus, alayhi mm-hmm. salatu uh, was a prophet, and after him there was a system of caliphate. Mm-hmm. Now, through that verse, we we uh, as anhamdi we believe that after the Holy Prophet, salallahu alayhi sallam, um, the promised Messiah, wa sallam, was destined to come, mm-hmm. as in, in the previous ummah. And Now, this verse is referring to that uh, incident, and then, obviously, uh, as uh, after Jesus, salatu wa there was a caliphate. Similarly, after the promised Messiah, there is a there is khalafat. Mm-hmm. And also we find out the uh, truth of something. Uh, if, for example, uh, I say if if there is a glass and if it fulfills its purpose, i.e. it holds the water, right? Mm-hmm. If it's fulfilling its purpose, then then we believe that this is a true thing. Similarly, if the khilafat is fulfilling its, you can say, purposes, then we believe that this is a true True Khilafat. Now, in this verse, Allah the Almighty says that, you know, I will surely establish for them their religion which He has chosen for them. Mm-hmm. Now, um, if we look the Khilafat today, now, um, by the grace of Allah, the Khilafat has, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the belief of the Khilafat has reached the four corners of the earth. Mm-hmm. and um regardless to Canada to you know new zealand mm-hmm. there's uh, there's a plenty of you know missionaries and um uh, every every, every is basically a preacher of Khilafat and mm-hmm. a preacher of the religion of the Khilafat and then secondly, Allah the Almighty says that he will surely give them in exchange security and peace now, as Imam muni was saying that you know uh, we ask it's it's a um peace of mind that you know we get from Khilafat. And uh, also uh, peace and security from caliphate uh, we get. Uh, then Allah the Almighty says, "They will worship Me and they will not associate anything with Me." Mm-hmm. Now uh, we know that under the divine guidance, under the caliphate, um, uh, Khalifa has established uh, the a very strong, you know, um, um, a very strong system mm-hmm. of of. Uh, um, giving the advice to their uh, to their um, mm. members like in friday sermon he mm. preach every day you know uh, on a fr- friday sermon that basically it, it the whole friday sermons come from the holy quran now the the point which i'm making here is that if the thing is fulfilling its purpose which is made from it is mm-hmm. a true thing mm. and here according to this verse, we believe that this is the mm.
0: true khilafat mm. 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 well to speak more regarding this uh welcome on the show uh, Im, uh Imam Tahe Halid, uh the missionary who is currently uh incumbent in Stevenage, I believe. Mm-hmm. As alaykum. peace and blessings be on uh, upon you, Imam Tahe Hallid. on. always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, I
7: hope
6: so. Same here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so look, we're talking about this this schism which is inherent or not inherent, but is incumbent in the Muslim Ummah currently. So, you know, know, we we spoke about one of the attributes of God, uh, one of the 99 attributes uh, of God, which is unity, right, Uh, al-Wahid. Now, you know, obviously it's it's important. It's an attribute of God. Now we see, you know, what does that actually mean in terms of, you know, divine attributes uh, that we should attain, you know, as a human being?
7: Um, so these attributes of God Almighty, uh, like the one you mentioned, al-Wahid, um, this uh, the, this, as well as um, there is another attribute of God Almighty, um, al-Ahad as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm. Um, these attributes, um, they it refers to God Almighty being unique, being one, mm-hmm. being matchless in his attributes. His oneness is incalculable,
3: um,
7: and that's numerically speaking as well, but also in, in terms of his being. Um, he is one, he has no father, no mother, no son, uh, or any other associate. Um, Al-Wahid, it refers to, like we mentioned, the, the oneness of God Almighty. Um, in essence and by nature, he is a unique entity and singular without any helper or partner. Um, and in the Holy Quran, in a number of places, God Almighty talks about um, his, his oneness, um, like uh, in, um, uh, in Surah Al-Ikhlas, mm-hmm. um, which is the 112th chapter of the Holy Quran. Uh, God Almighty states, uh, say He is Allah, the One, Allah, the Independent, and besought of all He begets not, nor, he is, be- nor is, is He begotten, mm-hmm. and there is none like unto Him. Similarly, in another chapter of the Holy Quran, in another verse, God Almighty states, "Verily, Allah is the one only God. Far is it from Him, is far is it from His holiness that He should have a son. To Him belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is in the earth." So, the the foundation of Islam, of of a Muslim's belief, is built on monotheism, and to it, it is it is strictly forbidden. To associate partners with God Almighty mm-hmm. this is known as shirk uh, and shirk is a form of practicing idolatry and whether it is open or concealed whether that is major or minor it is a it is a major and unforgivable sin but Almighty states in the Holy Quran again that all sins can be forgiven uh, but not associating partners with him and mm. um, so this so like you mentioned how we can inculcate it within ourselves this oneness of god is is you know for for example a a form of shirk a form of idolatry is a person's pride Mm -hmm. a person's ego um so uh, this this is obviously a form of when instead of pleasing god and having firm faith in god uh, you start pleasing other resourceful people Mm -hmm. For your own pleasure but uh, getting benefit from others and gains from others um
0: okay I'm gonna jump in there uh, Imam yeah. uh, Tahir. so okay we get the right. idea that uh, this is a unique and you know God is all-encompassing there is no other than God and there's the unity so this is one of the things that obviously we as human beings want to aspire to so and you know the religion of Islam aspires to so, if therefore, you know, Islam is that perfect unifying faith, the universal faith, why is it then Muslim leaders are divided and at odds with one another? I mean, doesn't this con- contradict this, this even just this one attribute of God?
7: That is the, you can say, a juxtaposition <laughs> in Islam.
0: Oh, is it? Really?
7: Yes? <laughs> okay. But it isn't. So, so no, it's a, it's a very good question. Mm. Um, and it stems. And it roots back to what uh, the Holy Quran, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, have have uh, has has stated. Uh, the Quran, for example, has stated that uh, in one chapter, uh, in God Almighty states, "On this day, I have completed for you your religion uh, and perfected Islam for you." Uh, and then, uh, in the Holy Quran, God Almighty states that. Um, That you should hold fast onto the rope of Allah. Mm -hmm. Be one and hold fast onto the rope of Allah. Um, And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has also explained this as well and described that it is important for Muslims to be united. But he's also, through his prophecies and, and divine inspiration from God Almighty, he revealed that as the Jews had been uh, divided into seventy-two sects, Muslims will also be divided into seventy-three sects. Uh, and he gave the and he gave similarities of how uh, Muslims and, and, and Jews will be will be similar in that sense of how much they're divided. Um, so much so that they've they you can say the pairs of the same shoe. Um, this is how he described. The, those similarities of division, uh, and you can say uh, the corruption which will come within the faith or within the belief which people have of their faith. The faith itself is intact, the faith itself is per- perfected and complete, but people have failed to unite with one another. So, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah yes, be upon so him, explained that in this time when Islam will be divided. Mm-hmm. Um, then a Messiah will come who will revive the faith and unite people under the banner of God Almighty, under the under the flagship of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He will be the Prophet, he will be the Messiah, the Mahdi, and okay. he will not break the seal, the, the seal of prophethood. Mm-hmm. Rather, he will strengthen the seal of prophethood by coming under the name, in the name of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as a representative, as a vicegerent uh, um, of 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 the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So mm-hmm. this division in Islam was bound to happen, but God Almighty also showed us how, and the Holy Prophet showed us how we can tackle this division and unite once again, as the Muslims in the time of the Holy Prophet word were, were united there were a few fractions or, or individuals who started to turn away and become, you can say, hypocritical. Similarly, when, when, when the Holy Prophet had passed away, when the Caliphs had passed away, when there was no guide, there was no leader, there was no teacher to unite them, they began to differ among themselves,
3: mm-hmm. continue
7: fighting with one another, uh, and then interpreting verses according to their own beliefs,
3: mm-hmm.
7: to, their own, to fulfill their own desires and interests they were interpreting verses people would start following them and they would become a group they would become you can say uh, a sect within the different sects of islam mm. um so this through the, through the ages over 1400 years it, these sects have been growing and evolving um and division has been has has evolved as well and and that division has progressed but now the time has come where the promised messiah has come in fulfillment of uh, the prophecies of the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, right. um, and uh, and the, the the community of this prom- of this Messiah mm-hmm. is united, right. united under under a caliph. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Now, Imam um, Tahir, you know, having said that, you know, some of our modern day issues like uh, polit- this political or maybe a regional uh, uh, religious issue. Now if we um which is going back to maybe um, 14th century or maybe recently now if we could have um paid enough attention or paid you know the attention to the caliphate of ahmediid uh, can you relate um to this um as to you know with what is happening in Kashmir and Palestine and elsewhere in Muslim Umma? um
7: yes uh, I, this is a very very good question you see um I mean, you mentioned Palestine and Kashmir, uh, similarly in other parts of the world, throughout, uh, since the inception of uh, of the movement, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, the leaders of the community, the caliphs of the community, have been at the forefront of trying to resolve and give an input and guide Muslims on, mm-hmm. what, on, on how we should react to certain events. Mm-hmm and how we should deal with certain issues which are which are happening around the world one of the biggest issues which we're facing in this day and age uh which muslims are facing
3: mm-hmm.
7: is uh, in, in palestine
3: mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm. um where uh, this, this conflict has been going on for a number of decades now um and it's something which we are all very well acquainted with uh, the violence and oppression uh which the israelis have imposed on the on the on the muslims um, this has been again over the past three years uh, we can see it's gone even worse uh, I think particularly 2021 was a year when it went really bad particularly in the month of Ramadan
3: mm-hmm.
7: um, and uh, this, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on what His Holiness, the Caliph of the Amni um, Muslim Community the current Caliph has spoken on this as well but the Caliphs of the past mm-hmm. um, have also spoken on this as well right. so it was so uh, Around uh, the early 20th century, with the when when the formation of the Jewish state of Israel in 1948 um, was was being um, proposed, was being formed. Um, we can see this even before it actually happened in 1948. Uh, we can see the Jews were being oppressed uh, throughout Europe. Uh, and this has also been seen in the two great wars that we've seen: World War One, World War Two.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, uh, and in result of this, Palestine was colonized by the British after World War One, and Britain was being pressurized to hand over a piece of land to the Jews—a um, land that they could, that could be their homeland, that could they call their own. Uh, and this was one of the main aims of the Zionist movement founded by and, and led by um, Theodore Herzl in, in, this was, uh, in his time. So and in 1948, this is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And a part of Palestine was given to the Jews. Uh, and without wasting a single moment, it was declared the Jewish state by its Zionist leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Muslims at that time, they didn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. They did not speak out against this as they should have spoken out against this. Um, but the caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community did. The second caliph at that time, actually two years before it happened, in 1946, two years again, two years before Israel was formed, he had a, a divinely inspired vision which was t- foretelling a challenging and delicate situation which would be coming uh, coming on, on, onto the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote this in an article. Uh, he published this in Al Fazl newspaper. He titled it Al in- An Inzar, meaning the warning. Uh, and he also spoke about. Um, he was, also spoke about this in his Friday sermon on 30th of August 1946, and he mentioned about the dire situation of the Muslims. Um, and how they need to unite with one another, to protect one another, how they should do trade with one another to strengthen all across the Muslims, not just in the Arab world, but also in Africa. They should do trade with one another. They should build relationships with one another so that they can strengthen the weaker Muslims, the the, the weaker Muslim nations, Mm -hmm. bring them up onto their feet and make them independent and so that they can grow and flourish as well. Again, but when in 1948, when this happened, when Israel was when a piece of land was taken and given to the Jews and the 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 Muslims the Arab Muslims were kicked out of their homes their homes were demolished uh, and some homes were st- stayed intact but people were killed and taken out uh, and Jews were came came and settled in their homes this was known as the first Arab-israel war mm-hmm. in 1948 mm-hmm. The second caliphate at that time he wrote uh, a treatise titled, Al-Kufru Millatun wahida
3: mm-hmm. That
7: Kufr, this belief, is a, united, is a nation united. This is a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So nice. And in this, he wrote as well that the day which was prophesied by the Holy Quran and the narrations hundreds of years ago, the day which was prophesied in the Torah and the Gospels, the day which was told to be painful and dangerous for the Muslims, mm-hmm. has seemingly arrived. Jews are being inhabited in Palestine. I draw the attention of the Muslims to understand the sensitivity of this time and remember that today the saying of the Holy Prophet, Al-Kufru Millatun Wahidah, that Kufr is a, is a nation united, is being manifested to the letter.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: And, and and his letter, in which he wrote, his article, it had great impact mm-hmm. in Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and other Arab countries. It was published in Syrian, uh, on Syrian radio stations, uh, in Arab newspapers as well, um, across many parts of the Arab world. Um, and he also spoke in a college in in Lahore uh, that same year, uh, and he spoke about how Islamic countries should dispel their internal enmities and create a passion of sacrifice for one another. Mm. And the people of the Islamic countries should travel extensively to each other's countries and help one another. Uh, and then similarly, this was just the second caliph in his time, um, the 3rd Caliph, and there's much more which he did, even in the United Nations when his representatives, when a member of the community, Sir Muhammad Zafrullah Khan, uh, he spoke out uh, against the, the injustices which, which were happening uh, in Palestine as well. The 3rd Caliph, the 4th Caliph, the 5th Caliph, has spoken, they've spoken about this as well. Uh, and just before I end on this, the 5th Caliph spoke recently, um, like I mentioned, in in, in 2021, Uh, increased but before that in 2014 again the the violence in Gaza had escalated Mm -hmm. Um, and his holiness the fifth Caliph stated that with great regret it must be said today that it is the ill fortune of many Muslim countries that they are no longer united members of the public are fighting amongst themselves citizens are also fighting with governments whilst governments are inflicting cruelty upon their public therefore not only has unity been lost but great cruelties and injustices are being perpetrated the result of the lack of unity is that non-muslim countries now have the confidence to do whatever they please against the muslims and this is the very reason that israel is currently engaged in killing scores of innocent palestinians in the cruelest manner and and again like this this is just one particular issue on the mm. on the palestinian conflict but uh, on Kashmir as well, on Turkey
3: as well,
0: mm. uh, on, the, on the Arab Spring as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, the, uh, many, uh, I mean, I think, um, Imam Tahir, that you know, you've very eloquently uh, put out on a stage exactly that if, say, for instance, because it's not as if these messages from uh, our previous Khalifa have not been uh, broadcast around the Arab world it has but it's just unfortunately fallen on deaf ears and it's because of that that uh, there is this inertia uh, within the Muslim ummah to unite and stand shoulder and shoulder against um, external forces Uh, and well I wouldn't say external forces just uh, you know to stand shoulder and shoulder for what is right I mean, yeah. say, for instance, if you were in a family situation as simple as this, right? If you saw your brother being picked upon, mm. do you just stand aside and just let that happen? Of course not. So if you were to do that, then that would just enable other people to pick on your brother, right? Yeah, yeah. So
3: because
0: no one's defending them. Yeah, because no one's defending them. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, we we you know don't have too much time, but I just wanted to touch on this uh, subject as well. I mean um yeah you know, we as a community the Ahmadiyya muslim community suffered a tragedy a uh, horrific terrorist attack uh, on amadis where nine uh, amdis were um sacrificed for for the sake of amadiat in Burkina yeah. faso recently now the current uh, caliph you know, compared this incident to the martyrdom of hazrat uh, Shazada abdul latif I mean, can you just briefly tell us what happened to him and the impact it has had on the country?
7: So this this topic is such a sensitive and, and it requires a lot of time.
3: We'll get you on again. Into-
7: <laughs> I don't mind, I don't mind. Okay. Um, okay. But, so, Sahib Zada Abdul Latif, he was a very revered person from the province of Khost in Afghanistan. Um, he had thousands of followers, mm-hmm. thousands of followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is very spiritual, very religious person, very pious and respected person in in Afghanistan. And he was so respected that the ruler of Afghanistan, King Habibullah Khan, uh, he invited him at his coronation to pre- to perform the crowning ceremony. Wow. Um, so he was such a respected person. Um, and whilst he was in Afghanistan, he had come across. Uh, some books of the promised Messiah. He had heard of him. And so he decided to travel and visit Gardian, where the promised Messiah, Muzda Ghulam Ahmed, lived and, and, and was born in Gardian. And so in 1902, he went to visit him. Uh, and he accepted Ahmadiyyad, uh, and he converted to an Ahmadi Muslim in his very first meeting with the Messiah, with the promised Messiah. Uh, and he decided, he enjoyed his company so much, he decided to stay in Gardian. For a, a little longer, although he was a representative and a, and a government official, he had to go back to his country. Uh, and so whilst he was in Qadiyan in India, he received a number of revelations that were warning him to be prepared uh, that he, he will have to sacrifice himself. That mm-hmm. him coming to to Qadian, accepting Ahmadiyyad, the, the, the king of the time had found out, uh, and he thought of this as transgression, as rebellion, as disbelief. Uh, for him to go and convert and change his religion, although he, because he was obviously a respected government official.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, so mm-hmm. when he went back to Afghanistan um, and the Amir had, he had found out he had converted to Ahmadiyyad, he was arrested and imprisoned for four months. Uh, and he was actually placed in shackles. So these were known as ghar which are heavy chains of iron, mm-hmm. which weighed around mm-hmm. 130 pounds. Uh, It was put on his neck and his waist. Uh, Then the Amir, the king, ordered an additional shackle weighing 17 pounds to be placed on his feet. Uh, And then he was tortured for four months continuously. Uh, And he was regularly harassed. uh, And he was told to renounce his faith. Leave Ahmadiyyad. Like the the Muslims, the nine brothers in Burkina Faso were told to leave their faith. Mm -hmm. So the Baghdad Abdul Latif was told for four months to leave and he kept saying, how can I relinquish the truth? How can mm-hmm. He said, you can really? kill, kill me, kill my family, but I can't leave the faith which I have accepted. So on July the 14th, 1903, uh, he was uh, buried up to the waist um, in public and he was stoned to death. Very brutally, very, um, in a way, without showing any sort of mercy. Uh, the, the king was the first one to throw the stone um, and uh, he was he was uh, brutally murdered. And the promised Messiah, he wrote about this in his book, Tazkirat al-Shahadatayn, uh, which is translated as the account of the two martyrs. Uh, and he says, O land of Kabul, you are a witness to the heinous crimes committed on your soul. Mm-hmm. O miserable mm-hmm. land, you have in the sight of Allah been condemned as you are the as you are the scene of this most atrocious crime. And since this day, since that day in in 1903, the unfortunate land of Kabul in Afghanistan has been the site of murder, bloodshed, violence, and extreme brutality ever since.
3: Mm.
7: After the martyrdom, we see epidemics, cholera, uh, and the whole family, the ruling family, the royal family was killed and murdered. Mm. Uh, and I like this so much more, but we are coming to the very end. Yeah, so we are. You've, you've noticed the day we can.
0: <laughs> No, it's always been, uh, well, always is a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much, Imam Tahir Khalid. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that brings us pretty much to the end of the show. Just a quick shout out to our producers. A uh, big thank you to Nigarish Mahmood, Zainab Fatima, and Sunuma Atwal. Uh, to my co host, uh, Imran Akram, and to our backroom staff, uh, Habib. Thank you very much. Here is news.